So today's message, don't let them in, and we're going to be in Second John, the second letter of John, and that's found in the New Testament, right after First John. Uh, so in case you weren't aware, after this Sunday, there are only three more Sundays left in this year, and in 2020, in this difficult, strange, trying year that really no one ever expected. You, when you think about the wildest things that could ever happen, uh, well, I would say a lot of that happened this year. Uh, I'm not going to go into a full-on year's review, but I think for many of you, besides the world events, maybe in your personal life, you've experienced some some stuff this year that you've never experienced and, you know, but, and all that, just remember that the Lord is still with us. He's still in control. He's still on the throne. And one day we will be with him. So what I've decided to do this week and next week is to cover two short letters in the New Testament. And then I'm going to close out this the last two Sundays with some special topical messages. And then so once we begin the new year, once we begin 2021, we'll start afresh with a new book in the Bible that we haven't covered yet. So a couple years ago, and I was checking my old sermons and my notes, uh, back in the middle of 2017, I did a verse-by-verse study of the first letter of John. Now, if you weren't with us during that time, I think we were at the hotel room at that at that time. If you weren't with us, um, if you're interested in hearing those sermons, those messages, they're available on YouTube and also on SoundCloud. The audio is available on SoundCloud and our iTunes podcast. But you know, uh, back then we we covered that that first letter. Well, this week we're going to be covering the second letter of John. And then next week we'll be looking at that third letter. Again, these are short letters, uh, short letters, 13 verses, just 13 verses in the second letter. Um, so now that you know what the plan is for the rest of the year, uh, here's what I'm going to try to accomplish uh, with the time that we have together this morning. I'm just going to give you a quick introduction, overview of this book, and then we're going to read it, uh, dissect it, and then I'll be sharing some ways that you can apply what John wrote here in this letter. And my hope is that you'll be able to clearly understand what exactly John wanted to convey to his readers. So if you're a Christian and you're concerned about how open or closed you should be to others, especially to those who profess to be believers. These two short letters will answer this in a very practical way. Second John will show us the importance of maintaining a right balance of love and truth in order to keep our house or even our church house closed to heretics. 
John's third letter, which we'll, again we'll be covering next week, encourage, encourages an open door policy to traveling preachers and missionaries. So before we get into this overview, let's come before the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to us this morning. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that you have us all here together and we know that there's a plan and purpose for that, Lord. Um, and so I pray that you bless those that are here, that you speak to them, that they will hear from you, whether it's through your word or um, maybe a part of this message or the full message, Lord. Pray that you will minister to them and, and tell them what they, the things that they need to know, Lord. So remove all distractions from them, the bills that need to be paid, the Christmas shopping that needs to be done, um, you know, a family that you know is having issues, Lord. Um, I ask that you, right now we just dedicate this time to you. I also pray for those that are watching and listening too, Lord, that you will uh, that as this message goes out. Uh, the world wide web, wherever it is, Lord, that uh, those hearing it will receive it as well, Lord, and you will speak to them uh, in, a, in the way that only you can, Lord. So fill this room with your spirit, Lord. Soften our, our hearts, minds, Lord. Um, open our eyes and our ears to hear from you now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So. Again, just a quick overview. Now, the beginning of verse 1 tells us right away that the author of this letter is the elder. Now, because of the similarities of the vocabulary, the grammar, the style, and theology, it's been generally accepted that this elder was the same John who wrote the first letter of John. As many of you know, he was one of the original 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, and his name literally means Jehovah's gracious in Hebrew. Now, the suggestion from John chapter 19, verse 25, is that his mother was Salome, uh, and his sister was, and was the sister of Mary, Jesus' mother. Now, if this was the case, then John and Jesus were cousins. His father's name was Zebedee. He was a fisherman from the Sea of Galilee. From what Mark 4.21 tells us, John also had a brother named James, who also became an apostle. And so like many male children did at that time, both James and John stayed in the family business and were fishermen like their father. Now Luke chapter 9, in Luke chapter 9, Jesus nicknamed these two brothers the sons of thunder because of their apparent fiery personalities. John was present during many of the key moments during Jesus' life and ministry, including Jesus' transfiguration in the Mount of Olives. Now, in addition to this, uh, to these three letters, it's commonly believed that John also wrote the fourth gospel in the New Testament. And there is a lot of debate about this, but it's also believed that 
he also wrote the book of Revelation. So if you add them all up, John may have written up to five books in the New Testament. Now, scholars believe that he wrote all of these letters between 70 and 90 AD in the city of Ephesus. It was here in Ephesus that he spent the latter years of his life before being banished to the island of Patmos, where again he wrote the book of Revelation. The recipients of this letter have been understood to be either a local church or a prominent woman who owned a house where the congregation met. Now, either one of these is, is probable, but I guess I lean more towards the likelihood that John here is referring to a local church just because of some of the topics he brings up and the wordage that he uses. His purpose for writing this letter was out of deep concern for the congregation. You see, he had recently crossed paths with members of this congregation, and to his delight, he found them living exemplary Christian lives. But he had also noticed, or he had also been informed, that in their sincerity to show hospitality to traveling evangelists, they had also allowed heretical teachers to come into the church. So he penned this letter to encourage that church, that congregation, and its leader to keep displaying Christian love to all, but also not allow deceivers in their ministry. Now, another reason he wrote this letter is to remind them of the command to love one another, which they received from the beginning. By reminding them of this command, he hoped that it would accomplish two things. First, it ensured, it ensured that both he and the readers will persist in their relationship of mutual love. And secondly, John wanted to make sure that the deceivers didn't succeed in causing a wedge between him and that congregation that he loved so much. He didn't want those deceivers to alienate them from fellowship with him. In this letter, the key words will be truth and love. But love comes from obeying truth. So simply put, following truth leads to loving God and, hum and humanity. Nevertheless, as we seek to find ways to love our brothers and sisters in Christ, and yes, even our enemies, we mustn't ignore truth. So while we extend our hand in love and generosity and hospitality, our other hand must have a firm grip on truth. By doing this, it'll help keep you from cooperating with anyone who is spreading error regarding our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So now let's open up our 
Bibles and turn to the first letter of John and follow along silently as I read those 13 verses aloud. The second letter of John. And the Word of God says, The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in the truth. Not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Son of the Father in truth and love. I was very glad to find some of your children walking in truth in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So now I ask you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments, or his commands. This is the command as you have heard it from the beginning, that you walk in love. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the, the deceiver and antichrist. Watch yourself so you do not lose what we have worked hard for or what we have worked for, but that you may receive full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching go and, but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. And do not greet him, for the one who greets him shares in his evil works. Though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. This short letter can be divided into three sections. The introduction, the message, and the conclusion. The first three verses of this letter is the introduction. Now earlier, again, I covered that the elder was none other than the Apostle John. This term speaks of age, office, and dignity, depicting him as speaking in a loving, fatherly role. I also covered that the elect lady may have been either a local church or a well-known woman who had housed a well-known church. In any case, he addresses the members of that church as her children. The apostle then states, that brother states that brotherly love for his family is in the truth. In fact, he even goes on to say at the end of verse 1 that they are also loved by all those who know the truth. So what he's saying to them here is that is the love that he and others have for them was founded and predicated on God's truth which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thus, to embrace the gospel truth is to experience God's love 
fostering an affection in the, in the believer for others. In his first letter, John wrote, John wrote that one born of God loves both the Father and uh, the Son, those born of him. In verse 2, he says that this love is aroused, it's brought forth because of the truth that remains in us and will be forever, will be with us forever. The point he's making here is that Christian love is by no means just feelings or humanistic compassion. It's love that's motivated by a knowledge of the truth, which, is, which has been revealed in Christ, and that truth is now in us, is now in you if you're a born-again believer, forever and ever. Now, since the truth will be with us forever, we certainly ought to get acquainted with it now and learn to love it. This then tells us that truth is the basis of love. It's precisely this truth on account of which the church is loved. That the church must be careful to guard. Now, the reason John opened his letter on this note of truth is because that there were false teachers abroad who were spreading error. And in a bit, we'll see in verse 7 that he actually called them deceivers and antichrists. See, like many, unlike many teachers today, many pastors today, John wasn't one to say that our religious teachings are true in one way or another. I'm sure you might have heard that at one time. Someone saying, oh, you know, they're all the same thing. Nor was he one to say that we, should, we shouldn't be criticizing them as long as they're sincere and not hurting people. To John, there was a great, dif there was a great difference. In fact, a deadly difference between truth and error. And he wouldn't tolerate error. Now, although John talks about love more than any other writer in Scripture, he also emphasizes truth more than any other writer. Using the word truth 20 times in his gospel, nine times in 1 John, five times in these opening verses, two, uh, I'm sorry, five times in the opening verses of of Second John and five more times in his third letter. However, I find it fascinating. I find it interesting that it was the apostle of love whom the Lord tapped on the shoulder to also be the one who stressed truth. Because when it comes to the topic of love, it's very easy to get all mushy to become sentimental, to begin to say, I'll just love that person rather than to be honest with him or her. 
Well, such was not the case with John. And his example was a needful one in a day when the when today in the world we live in, when identity politics has eclipsed integrity as our nation's top priority. We live in an age where truth is relative. What's true for one person may not be true for another. We live in a culture that embraces Pilate's question, what is truth? Rather than Jesus' declaration, I am the truth. Now, while I don't want to be the one who causes people to batten down the hatches whenever they see me coming, neither do I want to let the church or my kids walk in ways I know will be destructive. Our relationship with our kids, our spouses, and our sisters and brothers in Christ cannot survive without truth. That's why Paul says that we are to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4.15. For both are vital. John then ends this introductory greeting in verse 3 with the words, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Uh, for those who may not know, uh, let me just quickly tell you what those words mean. Grace is undeserved favor for those who deserve the opposite. Mercy is pity shown to those who are guilty and wretched. Peace is the harmonious relationship that results from God's grace and mercy. All three of these blessings are from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father. So you see, the Father is the source and the Son is the channel. In addition, they are in truth and love and never at the expense of either of these virtues. I find it, again, significant that at the very outset of the second letter, John affirmed the deity of Jesus Christ by joining the Lord Jesus Christ with God the Father. He did this to make it categorically clear that both are equally God. And then to make certain that his readers didn't miss the emphasis, John added, the Son of the Father. See, it's impossible to separate the two. If God is the Father, then He must have a Son. Jesus Christ is that Son. In 1 John 2.23, John said, No one who denies the Son has the Father. He who confesses the Son has the Father as well. The Christian faith, ladies and gentlemen, stands or falls on the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ. If he is only a man, 
and he cannot save us. No matter how gifted or unique he might be. If he is not God come in human flesh, then the Christian faith is all a fraud. It's all a lie. And John's opening introduction here was written with the wrong emphasis. If our homes and churches, and just to be specific, our church here, our small little church here, are to be true to Christ and oppose false teachers, we must know the truth. So how do we learn truth? By carefully studying God's word and allowing his spirit to teach you. By listening to others who are true to the faith. And then practicing what you've learned or what you learned. You mustn't only learn the truth with your mind. You must also love truth in your heart. And live the truth by willfully obeying it. By choosing to willfully obey it. See, every part of you, every part of your being must be yielded to truth. If you're a parent, it's vital to teach your children to love the truth. Yes, God uses, you know, Sunday school and, and, and uh, Christian day schools and, and all that is, it's all good. And God uses the people in them to help in this area. However, in the final ana analysis, it's you, mom and dad, that must instill in your children a love for the truth and the knowledge also of God's truth. So now that we covered introduction in the introduction, let's get into the message of this letter in verses 4 through 11. Evidently, again, as I mentioned in the, in the overview, John had encountered members of this church at some point and was glad to find some of them walking in the truth. Here the truth seems to be likened to a path along which we walk, by which we keep course, and from which we should not deviate. Indeed, to go astray from revealed truth, whether in doctrine or in morals, isn't just an unfortunate error, but an active disobedience. For we are to walk in truth in keeping with a command we have received from the Father. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a thought. It's not, you know, God saying, I think you should do this. No, it's a command. God has not revealed his truth in such a way as to leave us free at our pleasure to believe or disbelieve it, to obey or disobey it. Revelation, when God reveals truth to you, carries with it responsibility. To walk in the truth is to be obedient to the truth God has made known. John wanted the whole church to do the same. 
Furthermore, just as the Lord Jesus was the living embodiment, embodiment of truth, so he expects our lives to be testimonies to the truth. In verses 5 through 9, the apostle seems to give a short summary of his first letter where he listed the tests of life. Now, in these verses, he repeats at least three of them. The first one he mentions is a test of love in verse 5. There he reminds his readers, he reminds us of the commandment to love one another. Love here is essentially the unselfish giving of oneself for the benefit of others. It's not what I can get out of a person, but what I can do for that person. We may not be able to will our affections at all times, but we can will our attitudes and actions. When people are rude to you, you can be kind in return. When people persecute you, you can pray for them. And when the opportunity comes, do good to them. We all know that if we followed our feelings, our emotions, and someone insulted us, someone if, you know, was persecuting us, what are we going to do if we let our feelings take control? You'll be in the flesh. You'll want to retaliate. You'll want to fight back. But if you ask the Spirit, God's Spirit, to control your wills, then you can act toward them as Jesus would have acted in Christian love. The second test he reiterates is in verse 6, the test of obedience. Here, love is shown to be walking according to his commandments. We cannot truly love in the divine sense unless we're walking in obedience to the Lord and to the truth of God. In fact, it's impossible to divorce our relationship with God from our relationship with people. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says that if we love God, but we hate our brother, then we can be sure that we do not really love God. However, he also says in 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 5, that if we obey God, then his love is perfected in us, and we have no problem loving our brother. So if you take a close look at verses 4, 5, and 6, these are the three themes that, that blend in, that blend together. Truth, love, and obedience. It's by believing the truth in Christ and in the Word that you are saved. The evidence of that salvation is love and obedience. But love and obedience are strengthened as you grow in your knowledge of truth. 
according to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, you speak the truth in love and you obey God's commandments because you love him. People ask me why I don't participate in many of the things that maybe my coworkers participate in or why I don't do certain things because I want to be obedient. Because I love God and I just want to be obedient. I don't want to sin against him. I, I, I want to just know him more. I want to fall in love with him more. And, and I know that that is only possible if I continue to be obedient to him. And that should be your heart as well. You know, if you're struggling with certain things and maybe peer pressure, you know, whatever it is, um, give it to God. Allow him to give you the strength to overcome that peer pressure. And always think to yourself when you're in a situation, man, I love God and I want to be obedient to him and I want to be obedient to his word, to his truth. It can be very easy sometimes to, you know, again, I, growing up, I would never do anything bad in front of my parents, you know. Um, I wouldn't steal in front of them. I wouldn't cuss in front of them. I wouldn't, you know, do some of the horrible things I would do when they weren't around because I wanted to honor them and I respected them and I loved them. We should have that same attitude when we're by ourselves because we know we're not by ourselves. We're, our Father is with us. Our Abba Father is always there with us. I asked yesterday, I asked my young daughter if she knew what integrity meant. And it's a word that maybe I don't think she really knew, so I explained it to her. And it's doing the right thing when no one is looking. But let me add just a little caveat to that, and that's God is looking. So do the right thing because God is looking. Also, according to John 7:17. 7, Obedience enables you to learn more truth. And the more truth you learn, the more we love Jesus Christ, who is truth. Remember his words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So here's what it all boils down to. Instead of living in a vicious circle, you live in a victorious circle of love, truth, and obedience. Well, this then brings us to the test of the doctrine. Of doctrine. Great question here is, did God really become man in the person of Jesus Christ? And the answer is a resounding yes. The Gnostics believe that the divine Christ came upon that the divine Christ came upon Jesus of Nazareth for a period of time. But John insists that Jesus Christ was, is, and will always be God. Therefore, he warns his readers in verse 8, watch yourselves so that you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive so that, but that you may receive a full reward. Church, Satan is a thief, and so are his helpers. 
So here, John wanted his readers to receive a full reward. He doesn't want Satan to take away what he's been doing in their lives. The, the work that him and the other apostles and the other ministers and evangelists have been doing in their work, in their, in their lives. Now, again, he wants them to receive a full reward, which is equivalent of what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 11, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. What a tragedy it is when God's servants labor faithfully to build up a church and in the work destroyed by false teaching. No wonder Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 4, verse 11, I am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted. When John says in verse 9, anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it, what he means by that, he's speaking of false teachers. This is what cults do. They claim to have new light and teach doctrines that God has not revealed in his word. Extra biblical teachings. They do not stay within the bounds of Christian revelation. The teachings which Christ himself brought. The apostle emphasizes in verse 9 that a cultist may claim to know God, but if he does not believe in the absolute deity and humanity of the Lord Jesus, he does not have God at all. There are many so-called Christian denominations, so many religions out there that, again, seem good. But ask yourself, what do they think about Jesus Christ? Do they claim that he's God? They don't. They don't preach that. They don't claim that. I would be wary, wary of them. I would stay away. Now, I want you to see that God can only be known. The only way to truly know God is through His Son. Jesus said in chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 6, no one comes to the Father except through me. And in another place, he also says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, in verses 10 through 11, which many say is the heart of this letter, John gave two instructions on how to deal with false teachers that aren't ascribing to this teaching. First, do not receive them into your home. That is, Withhold hospitality of providing room and board. Do not allow them to, to, to eat at your table, to, to sleep under the roof of your house. Now keep in mind that this instruction doesn't prohibit inviting false teachers into one's home for a discussion about the truth. But it does forbid offering them a place to stay, to stay during their itinerant mission 
as they're going out and preaching, sharing the false, a false gospel. And second, he says, do not greet him or encourage him by greeting him. To greet a traveling heretical evangelist by providing him lodging and food approves of what of of approves of and shares in his evil works of spreading heresy similarly for a christian today to financially contribute to a religious cult or an orthodox church or a false teacher is to encourage and assist in that spreading of their false doctrines and practices in the late 19th century the rise of theological liberalism brought for brought forth generations of christian pastors leaders and theologians who denied many of the fundamental fundamentals of biblical christianity though it was a broad and varied movement at its root, theological liberalism thought that Christianity had to reevaluate all its doctrines in light of modern science, philosophy, and thinking. They rejected the idea that doctrine was true simply because the Bible taught it. It also had to be proved true by reasoned by reason and experience. They believed that the Bible was not an inspired message by a real God, but by the work of men who, lim who were limited by their ignorance and superstitions of the time. For them, the Bible was not either inspired or supernatural. The importance of the, import importance of the Bible and its message was not in its literal or historical truth, but in its changing spiritual message. And again, this is the 19th century, I think, now in, in the 21st century. You know, it's, the, this thought has, has expanded even more into crazier views and ideas about really what the Bible is and what it's all about. So we need to be careful again on the people that show our support to. So why was John so adamant about this? Because he didn't want any of God's children to, one, give a false teacher the impression that his heretical doctrine was acceptable. Two, become infected because of the association of possible friendship. And three, give the false teacher ammunition to use at the next place he stopped. If I were to entertain a cultist, for example. He may approach Sam and say, there's no reason why you shouldn't let me in. After all, Pastor Angel let me in, and we had a wonderful talk. So you see, my disobedience could very well lead to someone else's destruction. Again, let me be clear. Jesus wasn't saying that only born-again people should enter our houses. Friendship evangelism around the table is a, is a wonderful way to win people to Christ. Christians need to be neighborly and hospitable. Again, the 
apostle here is admonishing us not to receive or encourage false teachers who represent anti-Christian groups. People who have left the church and are not trying to seduce others away from the truth. Don't let them in. Don't let them in your homes. Don't let them in this church. Well, finally, in verses 12 and 13, we have John's concluding words. John would have liked, would have liked to say more to the elect lady, but he stopped at this point. Why? Because he hopes to come and visit her and talk face to face. When you really love someone, when you really care deeply about someone, you'll find much more satisfaction to talk to that person than to use, as he said here, and with, to use paper and ink. Nowadays, we have our fingers texting and, you know, instant message, direct messaging. But again, that's all fine and good. But when you really care and love someone, you just enjoy being face to face. You enjoy being around them. How much more wonderful would it be to see the Savior, when we finally do see him face to face, truly then our joy will be complete. So in verse 13, John closes, the children of your elect sister send you greetings. Now, it's not really known who, uh, who they were, but what we do know is that we shall meet them one day and enjoy fellowship with them. But not only with them, but with the beloved Apostle John who penned this letter. And best of all, with the Savior himself. So as I close, I hope that as we've gone through this short letter, you've been really able to hear the urgent heart of an Apostle who really loved the people of that church, of, of that church he's writing to. He wanted to protect them from those who wanted to take them away from, who wanted to take the truth away from them and ensure that nothing got in the way of the love he had, they had for one another in that truth. One theologian wrote, Second John gives us a new aspect of the apostle. He shows, it shows him to us as the shepherd of individual souls, whether it be addressed to a local church or to a Christian lady. It is for the sake of particular persons about whom he is greatly interested that he sends the letter. So likewise, we should all have a heart to not only protect our homes from anyone seeking to divide that home, but also as believers, as a church, as Christians, from anyone who wants to come into this church and try to divide us.
I guess as one of the leaders here, as lead teaching pastor here, I will always have my eye to protect the flock here, to make sure that no one is coming in and trying to divide and to deceive. But also, you know, you guys are here to you guys are my brothers and sisters. You gotta make sure that, you know, you guys are watching my back. You guys are watching each other's back to make sure that no one is trying to make me wander off into a bad direction, try to, you know, spoil my heart. You know, it's you know, we need each other. I'll be here for all of you, but I also believe I also want to believe that you'll be there for me when I when I need it. So again, let's watch out for one. Let's protect one. Let's protect your homes. Protect this church. I also hope that you were able to see that here John in this letter clearly drew a line in the sand between Christ and the Antichrist. Light and darkness, truth and heresy. Stay away from deceivers, he writes. Keep following the command to love, but always obey the truth. Don't let them in. Don't let these servers continue to love, yes. You know, but as I said in the beginning too, extend your hand in love and generosity, hospitality, but with that other hand, tightly hold on to truth. Clench it. Don't loosen that grip. You, know, you can't have love without truth and you know, truth reveals love. Now, that ends the message here with, with the second letter. But maybe you're out there, maybe you're here listening and you see that, you understand, you realize that maybe there's something missing in your life. Deep inside there is a void that you've been trying to fill with all kinds of things. Whether it's drugs, alcohol, pornography, whether it's, you know, gambling or numbing yourself with pills, you know. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ will fill that void. And that's all you're going to need. You won't need anything else if you come to him, surrender your life to him. I can testify to it, and many others will too, that he will fill that void that's in you, that you've been trying to fill with so many things for so many years. He wants to reveal truth to you. He wants to pour his love into you so that you can share it with others. If you are the type of person that is always angry and bitter and resentful, and you're tired of feeling that way, 
when you surrender your life to Christ, when He, the Spirit of God, comes and, and dwells within you, God's love, God's truth, at you, and it's a different kind of love. I only touched on it a little bit, but it's not that mushy feeling. It's not about feeling. It's something greater. And you can have that. You no longer have to be angry and bitter and, and resentful. He will give you a new heart, a soft heart, to be able to love again. So if that's you, I want to invite you to the, to the cross of Jesus Christ in order to lay your sins before him. I want to give you an opportunity to become born again. So wherever you're at, I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If you're out there listening and hearing this, if you're in a safe place, you can get on your knees if you need to. You can get on, on your face. But with all your heart, with all sincerity, pray this. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and that I've fallen short. I now ask for your forgiveness. I truly believe with all my heart that you died for my sins and then rose from the dead three days later. I confess you, Jesus Christ, as my Lord and Savior. I now turn from my sins and confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit so that he may help guide me in my new born-again life. In your name. Amen. If you pray that, I want you to contact us. Let us know you prayed that and you want to hear your story. Um, you can send us an email through our website or social media, um, on Facebook or YouTube. You know those sections that you can send messages. Let us know. Yeah. If you're here in the area locally, we want to invite you to, to come check us out here. We want to minister to you. So reach out to us. Let us know how we can do that. So, uh, Thank you for joining us.